0: It changes philosophy it changes moral standards and it indeed changes social tolerance when it comes to gender when it comes to marriage when it comes to individual roles in marriage <clears throat> and then just standards in general we can see that there are many changes that have taken place over time and certainly in different areas of the world. This has also resulted in many, and that is an understatement, but many, many books, many seminars, a lot of social programs and philosophies that have been made available to the general public over the to- over time and certainly today to help us to understand those areas, such as what is the thinking on gender, marriage, and all of this, so that we might understand it and then to comply with the expectations of man, with the expectations of what is acceptable and tolerable to society, any given nation, any given culture, but it is a result of time and geography and change. We are grateful that the Bible, that God's word does not change. It doesn't, as God does not change. And when I say that, I stand here with a full understanding of progressive revelation, that God did not give all of his revelation at once. But once it's declared, it doesn't change. It does cover God's word does cover all generations of all times and it covers every culture. That is often forgotten. But God's word and his instruction covers all men and women, boys and girls of all time, and it covers every culture. God is the one who has created us and God has given us His instruction and his expectations in the area of gender, in the area of marriage, and in the area of roles within those institutions and in society. That is fundamental, but it needs to be reminded. And God's instruction has been given to us and his expectations are there. Even if, even if masculine thinking, feminist movements, political correctness, and cultural change does not accept it or does not like it, God's instruction remains true and his expectations remain true. And it does not change the fact that what God has given us, number one, is his standard. Number two, is what is best for us individually, collectively. And in fact, listen, is what is best for the society that we live in. God's standards are best in all of those situations, whether or not man wants to accept it, believe it, or whatever, or wants to change it. It is God's instruction, it is true, and it is covering all generations of all times and all cultures. That should be fundamental to a group like this. And yet, it is not many times, and it is not fundamental At all to our society. In our passage of scripture that we are studying as we expositionally go through the book of 1 Peter. Peter has been addressing domestic responsibilities. What is God's expectation for domestic responsibilities? And we have seen a couple of things leading into our text this morning that is important that we all see. We have learned that all, and I repeat all, men, women, boys, and girls, all have been created equal. God has created all of us equal in his sight. We have all been created in the image and likeness of God. Listen carefully. That is not true of the animal life, no matter what society says. That is not true of The trees. It is not true of the ocean. It is only true. That is what makes us unique in God's creation. It is we, the pinnacle of his creation, who have been made in the image and likeness of God, and that includes man and woman, male and female. We have learned that. We are also totally equal in the area of salvation. We have seen that. There is no distinction of rich or poor, of black or white, of male or female. In the eyes of God, we are equal in Christ if we have come by faith in Christ, and we are in an equal plane and need to understand that. And in all marriages, we need to understand these things. In the relationship of society, we need to understand all of this. Further, We have learned that we are all equal in our destiny. Those who have trusted in Christ, we are not equal as far as those who have not believed. They are equal in that they will face hell whether they believe it exists or they don't. But it is also true of heaven. It is also true of the church. That whether male or female, we are equal in our inheritance in Christ it is undefiled, it'll never fade away, it's reserved in heaven, not just for man, but for women, not just for boys, but for girls, and for anyone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important fundamental, but understanding of our text here. However, we have also learned that by God's design, we are different in gender. No matter what society teaches today and particularly in the year 2015 forward. We we have been created male and female and there are definite distinctions in that area. There are definite distinctions as we have learned not just in gender but in role. Not the level of equality but in the roles that we play in society, in the roles that we play within the family and our function And responsibilities are different. That is not our choice. It is by God's design. And in the text, in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, to bring us right up to our text, in 18 through 25 of chapter 2, he dealt with slaves, which was the first domestic responsibility because he's teaching heavenly citizens, those who belong to God, whose citizenship is not on the earth but in heaven, That's why they are referred to as strangers or aliens. That is why we are referred to that way. And within the household, there was the domestic slave. There was the one that was managing the household as a slave and subject to his master. His responsibility was to submit. His responsibility was to submit to his master, and we did by application his boss when we're dealing with a work relationship. Whether they are good or bad, remember that. His responsibility of function is even if you have a bad master, you have one that's very harsh, you still have to submit because that is the role and expectation of God. Last week, we spent the message on chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, with the wives' responsibility. Excuse me, and what was the wives' responsibility? To submit, and we said very clearly last week, as it says in the text, to our own, to their own husband. This is not a general, we saw that last week, not a general submission so that when you walk out in society, all women are to submit to every man that comes along. That is even a falsehood. The reality is that the wife, in her role in the home, is to rank herself under to submit to the husband that God has given her. That is her responsibility. Even if, as we saw, the husband is unsaved even if he is disobedient to the word of God, even as a saved man. She has a responsibility to submit up to the point where it does not cross, where God has directly told her to do something, and the husband is requesting her to go against that. Then how is she to win her unsaved husband, or how is she to win that husband <clears throat> Excuse me, who is a saved husband but is not obedient, We saw that by her behavior and her character, she is to have a behavior and character that is such that that is what draws that person to Christ, to believe in him or to follow him and really the bottom line was in verse 5, these men, these women of old and the examples that were given, their hope was in God and that's where the wives' hope lies It lies in God and her fear of God, not of her husband, and not of any other situation. And that's what we saw last week. Now we move into verse 7. So with that whole surrounding, and it's important to again review the equality situation and everything else, we get into the exposition of verse 7, and we come to the husbands. And as we come to this verse, well, that's easy, right? husband's role is a piece of cake. He's the master. He's the head of the house. The home is his castle. She just should listen, period. End of discussion. Really? By God's design, first of all, we saw this last week, but it's important to be reminded. I just read it in Ephesians. It is by God's design, please understand that, that the man is the head of the family. And again, we're assuming a husband and wife relationship. Obviously, there are situations where the husband has died, and now the woman has that responsibility. And actually, he's uh, playing a tremendous role of both trying to be mom and dad and all of that that comes with it. But it is by God's design. Remember, we saw in creation, he said that not only did he create man first, but it said very clearly in Genesis chapter 3 that the husband was given to rule over the wife by God. It was clear in Ephesians chapter five, verse 23. I read it this morning and uh, maybe uh, again, we should scan there because I'm going to end up back there and you probably want to keep your finger there as well. We'll be in both texts, but Ephesians chapter five, we saw it again, particularly if you go to verse 23 and I didn't read that one. It says for the husband is the head of the wife as comparison here, Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. So there's a comparison there, but a clear delineation of responsibilities that by God's design, he is the head of the church. First Corinthians, I'm not going to turn to this when we did last week. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three points out the same thing, that Christ is the head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife and on and on down it goes uh, in the responsibility. That's God's design. But listen, men and women, And boys and girls, as you prepare for your future, this does not mean that the husband is to be a dictator. This does not give any excuse for the husband to be a bully. This does not give any excuse for the husband to be abusive. This does not give any excuse for the husband to be mean, simply because, by God's design, in function, in his role, he is to assume that leadership role as the head of his house. In fact, in fact, it carries a greater responsibility than even the wife has, greater responsibility. Well, in what? Let's start into the text. As we get into 1 Peter chapter 3, he starts off, you husbands, it's clearly who he's talking to. He's talking to the head of the house. He's talking to the husband now, who is the other domestic situation. And what does he say? He says, in the same way. What is that? He, this words, this expression means similar. It means likewise. It means so too. And it has already been used. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, you wives. So it's an expression that he's already used. And what does it mean? In in what same way? What is he talking about? He talked about the slaves in verse 18. He talked about the wives in chapter 3, verse 1. And he told them in the same way they were to do something. What does he mean in the same way here in chapter 3, verse 7? Some have taken, and I read a number of commentaries this week that took this to say that it means in the same way you husbands submit. Now, it does not have that verb in there. And I want you to understand that, first of all, I said keep your finger in Ephesians. Go back there for a moment. There is a sense in which the husbands are to submit to the wives. What? Our text does not say that. But in Ephesians chapter 5, go back there, in talking about what we are to do spiritually. Go back to verse 15 of chapter 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of your time. We understand that. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, for in that is dissipation. But, contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? Speaking to one another. And by the time you get down to verse uh, 21, it says, and be subject to... To one another in the fear of the Lord. So all believers are to be subject to one another. All believers. Elders to the people in the assembly. Assembly to the elders. Husbands to wives. Wives to husbands. So there is a general sense in which they are, that is husbands, are to be submissive. And by the way, let me, as a practical point of view, say this. Husbands, it would be very wise for you to listen to your wives because many times they are smarter and they know more. And if you listen, you might be able to apply yourself and keep yourself from a number of headaches with with a number of things that come along. But the word, go back to our context, the word submit is not in the context there. And I think for a reason. Why? Uh, If it's in any way implied, and I think it may be, Your husband's in the same way. He's dealing with, in the same way, submit to your role. Submit to your responsibility. Submit to your function. Why? Because the husband has a tendency not to do these things. The husband is going to have a tendency to not take the responsibility. In other words, if we understand as the slaves were to take their responsibility versus 18 to 25 of chapter 2, and if we understand that in the same way, verse 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, the wives were to take their responsibilities in the same way you husbands take your responsibilities. In other words, if you're going to imply the word submit, it is submit to what God expects of you as well. It's fine to say to the slaves they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do. It's fine to say the wives are supposed to do what they're supposed to do and the husbands not do what they're supposed to do. It doesn't work that way. In God's eyes, in the same way that the slaves were to take their responsibilities, in the same way that the wives were to take their responsibilities, you take ser- seriously your responsibilities. Many husbands, let me say this right at the outset, many husbands do not take their responsibilities seriously. Many. And that includes the Christian home. They won't grow up. They want to play Peter Pan all their life. True. They just want to act like little boys. And they won't take their responsibility. And then they blame their wives for everything. That is not the Christian view and not God's view at all. They spend many times talking about and living in the glory paths of their lives rather than living in the present and taking their responsibility. They like to be boys and they want to play with boys' toys. Often it's true. And they won't take their responsibilities. They won't take their responsibilities with their wives. They won't take their responsibilities with rearing their children. They blame their their wives when the children go wrong. It's their fault because they're with them all the time. And part of the reason they're with them all the time is because you don't spend time with your children the way you should be spending it. And I'll give you this one right away. One of the greatest areas that men are lacking is in their spiritual responsibility. They don't take the spiritual responsibility seriously. And so when Paul is instructing them here, uh, sorry, Peter is instructing them here, and Paul does as well, he understands the way husbands function. And he says, husbands, in the same way, you better do what you're supposed to be doing. And you need to take it on. That's why oftentimes, you see, even when it comes to church attendance, when it comes to uh, people functioning, involved in spiritual things, it's the wives that are serving, it's the wives that are involved because the husbands are doing all the complaining and know all the answers as to why everything is supposed to be done and take no responsibility. Oftentimes, it's the wives that are having devotions, not the husbands. Oftentimes, it's wives that are being involved in serving and not the husband's. Men are to spiritually be leading their families and we are to accept the responsibilities and we are to take them serious. And a lot of times our families aren't what they should be because the husbands are not taking the actions that they should be taking. So what are our responsibilities? What should the husbands be doing? Does he just tell them to do it in the same manner? Let me give it to you this way and I'll summarize it and then we'll dig it out. Here's your responsibilities, men. Here's my responsibility that I fail at. But here it is. Basically, I think it comes down to three things. The husband is to be a learner, a lover, and a leader. To give you some three L's to walk away with. Young men, as you grow up and you're thinking about marriage and you think about your future, here's what you ought to do. Husbands, here's what we ought to do. We ought to be learners, lovers, and leaders. First a learner. That's what he says. Look at it. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. We ought to live with our wives in an understanding way. What in the world is he talking about? First of all, when he says we ought to live with, it is the term to dwell together. And it is a present act active participle. What does that mean? What are all these fancy things that Pastor Dan is throwing at us? If we don't even understand what he's saying, how can we do it? What's the idea? We had to dwell with them on a continuous basis. This is something that is ongoing. It doesn't happen just... We just had recently, and I was talking to Dave, it was a great wedding uh, recently, last week. We had a fun time and everything else to see two of our young people joined in marriage. And that's the beginning. But Eric, to talk about the specific wedding, has now a responsibility on his shoulders where he is now to continuously and ongoingly dwell with, be in part of the home with, spend time with, what? His wife, Becky. And that involves a continuous learning. He is to continuously stay with her and he is to continuously learn about her. And husbands, that is a responsibility that we ought to take and often right there does not happen. What does he mean to live with them in an understanding way? And by the way, and that's why it says continual, listen, folks, it is don't go to a wedding and say death to us part and don't mean it. That is before God and witnesses. And whatever status you're at now, even if there's been several divorces or whatever has happened in someone's life or whatever, wherever you are now, whatever you stood before God, you ought to dwell with that person in an understanding way. This implies spending time with your spouse. This implies learning about your spouse. What does that mean? Let me give you some practical things, I hope. You ought to learn about her uniqueness. God has given you this person, and this person is unique to you. That's the one that you are married to. And you ought to learn a lot about her uniqueness. In what ways? Just the very fact that she's a woman and you're not. That's what the society is confused And oftentimes, husbands can't even get through this part. Why? Because they don't take the time to continuously learn about their wife, even as a woman. Let me make it really really practical. All the things that she goes through in having a child. You don't experience that. I don't experience that. I've been through five childbirths. Not once did I have to physically deliver. Well, in a different way I did. But you know what I'm talking about. I didn't have to carry that child for nine months. I didn't have to go through the cramps. I didn't have to go through the waddling. I didn't have to go through all that comes with it. Now, that sounds funny, but you know what I'm talking about? Husbands, that is living with them in an understanding way. And understanding her needs because she's going through things that you don't go through. And while you go through change, she goes through tremendous change, even physically, that you will never experience. And a husband that's doing what God wants to do understands that and is sympathetic to that. Doesn't just say, oh, yeah, well, you go get the pizza tonight. But turns around and says, you have that need, I understand. You know, the, the, you're going through this situation. The emotions of a wife. I'll be careful here, but we need to continuously learn about the emotions of our wives. We do. Their emotions are different than us. We need to learn about our own wives. What? What is the strength of your wife? What are the things that she's strong in? What are the things that she's weak in? If I gave you a test right now, could you name them? If you can't, how can you possibly be doing what God expects you to do as as a husband? You see? It's an ongoing process, and it's changing. You learn to begin to know her more and more. If you've been married 10 years, you should now know her better than when you knew her the first night of your marriage. If you've been married 40 years, it should be better then than it was 10 years ago. I know I said that to someone one time in a number of different areas. I said it a couple of times. In a number of different areas, I mean that sincerely. Uh, I've been married 41 years, and I praise the Lord, and it's getting better. I'm getting older. But you say, getting better. Yes, I'm learning more. And there isn't an aspect of our marriage that there are things that are tough. There always are. But communication, whatever it be, should always be improving. And it's what? A process that we need to learn as husbands. We're learners. What is specifically with your wife? Now, when it talks about the weaker vessel, I need to continue on. What does that mean? It may mean simply physically. It's very possible. And by the way, I know that this runs in the face of body lifters that are women. And there there are people that, right, today, I mean, honestly, if I walked down the street and ran into one of them and they hit me, they'd kill me. (laughs) They just, uh, seriously. So And and so they look at a verse like this and they say, "That, that can't possibly be what it means, you know, because I want to just show you how macho I am. That's the way society's approached it. But I do think by God's design, you begin to see that even physically... Uh, While people would argue against it today, but even emotionally, they may be weaker. I think, this is my personal opinion, what does this passage mean? I think the key to it is chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. Let's go back there. If you want to understand what a weaker vessel means, I think I have to turn to God's scripture and get it out of there. What does he mean? Let me give it to you quick. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 18 of Genesis. Genesis. Then the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. There he was. He was alone with the animals and everything else, all the creation. He said, I will make him, and here it is, a helper suitable for him. Now, that is not a downplay. The woman is created equal. But as a female, she was created as a helper, as a complement, as a precious person who was suitable for him. And you go in and it goes on to talk about it. But I want to jump down to 21 for time's sake. So that the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on uh, man. And he slept and he took one of the ribs and closed up his flesh uh, at that place. And the Lord fashioned it into a woman. uh, The rib which he had taken from a man and brought her to him. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh should be called woman because she was taken out of me. And I think that's the key to understanding it. Part of God's creation was that he, he designed the woman to be a complement, to be a helpmate, to be involved. And in that sense, it's viewed as the weaker in, only in this sense. It doesn't downgrade her in any way, but because of physically, I think emotionally, and even as God designed it in her. And so we need to understand our wives. We need to learn about them that she's a helpmate, she's a completer. It is definitely not dealing with the following. I can tell you that in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. When it says that she's the weaker, uh, that we ought to understand her as someone weaker, it's not talking about her character. In fact, many women are better in character than men. It's not talking about her intelligence. There is many women that are smarter than men. In fact, your wife is probably smarter than you. It is not talking about spiritually. And again, in that area, many godly women uh, are are more spiritually minded than their husbands, without question. So it's not dealing with weaker that way. And I do also think it's around the word and involved with the idea of delicate. That God has given you a vessel to complement you that is a delicate and a vessel that is to be protected, Guarded and cherished. And that's the way you ought to view your wife. Let me just ask you right there, men. How are we doing? Are you doing well? Are you learning about your wife? Are you growing in your knowledge of her? Are you concentrating on her? Or are you out playing with everything else? We ought to learn and always be growing. And we're to understand that she's weaker. It doesn't mean she's less, it doesn't mean she's not equal. But she's my helpmate. She's uniquely set apart to me by God. And I am to treat her delicately. I am to treat her that way. I'm not to just bully over her. That's not the way you'd run through a china shop of of precious things and just knock everything over. You'd treat it delicately. You'd care for it. You'd protect it. I believe what it really is dealing with is speaking of respect that we ought to have for our wives. Secondly, I need to move on. So we're to be constantly learning. And then he says this. He said, in an understanding way, since she is a woman, and I think you go back to the context of Genesis and you follow it through, that's the idea, that we had to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And we'll deal with the last part of the verse in a few minutes. We had to be a lover. We're to get to know her and to honor her. And this is expanded in the book of Ephesians. That's why I wanted you to keep your finger there. Let's go there for a second. It is the husband's responsibility to be a lover, to love his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives. You say, well, I do. This isn't just talking sexually. That is part of it. But even in that area, by the way, men, you ought to be seeking to satisfy her, not yourself. You ought to be seeking her first. Why? That's the whole context. Love your wives. How am I to do that? He tells us. Comparison. Just as Christ loved, also loved the church. And what did he do? He gave up himself for her. Let me just start right there. That is the way we ought to love our wives. We ought to give up ourselves. They come first. We ought to be willing to lay down our life. For our wife? Not just talk about it, but in actions. How does it happen in the home? Do you treat your wife delicately that way? Are you concerned about her concerns? It's not about being macho man. It's not about our society's thinking about that role. Neither is it being marshmallow man, because that's where the world's going. The world's going and trying to tear down the masculine relationship to such a degree that they want all the males to be marshmallows. That's not God's view. We're going to see what would be the leader. How do we do this? How do we love? By giving ourselves for her. Christ, what did he do? He put the church first. He gave of himself totally. He gave himself totally for the church and even laid down his life. He was willing to take on and feel everything that we felt. Is that the way we treat our wives? Is that a way we're doing as husbands? Christian husbands should be that way. And I like the part where it talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, so husbands ought to love their wives, verse 28, as they love their own bodies. I mean, you've seen the programs. It starts with little boys, right? Get in front of the mirrors. They make sure nobody's around. We love our own bodies, and so do the women. We take care of our own bodies. We understand what that means. How much do you love your diet? How much do you love your exercise? Oh, no, not the next one. How much do you love your hobbies? And you'd be surprised. Men are just so caught up with exercise, diets, hobbies, and they haven't even got time for their wives. And then you wonder why Christ church is the way it is. You have very few men reading the word of God. You get very few men guiding their wives, praying. And listen, I've fallen down in these areas as well. We ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Oftentimes, men have a tendency to impose their physical desires on women. They want to physically control them. They want to make their wives conform to everything that they want. They manipulate their wives' thinking, and then they say they're a great Christian. That's not what God has called husbands to do at all. You think this responsibility is easy? I would rather have submit and respect, and it ends there. I am to love my wife, I am to be with her, and I am to constantly be learning about her, And many of the times I'm not learning because we're not spending the time, guys. And we're not interested. We're interested in ourselves. This involves honor. This involves respect. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. This is what we're not to do. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Okay, Pastor Dan, you've hit it enough. Leave it alone. Okay, watch. And do not embitter. be embittered against them. What is that dealing with? Bitter, angry, disrespectful toward? Oftentimes that's what husbands are. Rather than giving the honor and respect and cherishing their wife the way they should, Listen, your wife should not be the joke around the water bubbler. And by the way, neither should the husband be. When you talk about your wife to others, they should hear you talking to her about her in a way that you really have gotten to know her. And they can tell you love your wife and you're not like the other people that are running around with everybody else. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. I believe personally and for time's sake, just to get to the heart of the issue, that in the context, it's probably dealing with the marriage relationship, not so much heaven later on. Yes, she's a fellow heir of the grace of life later on, but look at he just dealt with the unsaved husband in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and there are probably many situations where the husbands have an unsaved wife. So if he's talking about those home relationships, he's probably talking about a fellow heir of the grace of life. In what sense, if you mean marriage, Pastor Dan? That it's probably that more than it is salvation that's in view. Listen carefully. Marriage is for now. Young people catch that. Marriage is for now. And God's grace is shown in the marriage relationship now. Toward the husband and the wife and the children. This is not for heaven. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Dan? After you die, even believers, and go to heaven, that person will not be your husband or wife anymore. Enjoy your marriage. There's the problem, folks. Too many marriages aren't what they should be because we're not enjoying our marriages and thinking I'm going to be better off with my wife later. No! No! It is here. It's just like this physical body was designed by God for this world. When we go to heaven, we get a spiritual body. And I'll give you a reference. You can turn to it on your own. Matthew chapter 22. And remember the Lord was asked that question? Well, this guy was married to this one. He was married to that one. He was married to this. Okay, God, uh, Jesus, in heaven, who's the wife? He basically turned around and said, you foolish. Don't you know what the word of God says? He says, when they get to heaven, they're like the angels. There is no marriage. Those relationships are gone. And husbands and wives, by the way, and children, that should be a real encouragement to you. To get married. To be involved. Because God has made marriage a blessing. Children are a blessing. It is a blessing for me to say that I've been married 41 years. It is a blessing to see what God has done with children. Have I had hard times? Have we had disagreements? Have we had arguing? Have we had, Yes, we have just like everybody else. Have there been times that Pastor Dan has not read the word of God in his home? Yes, unfortunately it's true. Has there been times that I haven't led in family devotions? Yes, I've failed in those areas. Has there been times that my prayer life hasn't been what it should be? Yes. And I think if anyone stood up here and said anything different, I would question whether they're being honest. I've failed in many ways. But through all of that, have there been trials and tribulations? Have there been times when things have happened in my home and I just wanted to go, yes. Yes, that's true. But I'm telling you, marriage is a blessing from God. And family is a blessing and it's designed by God that way. And that's what he means. We have the grace of God working in our home in the marriage. And if you're a believer, the grace of God is working. And you are fellow heirs of that grace within that structure. I don't really think it's heaven that he's got in view in the context, in the immediate context. That may be something for you to study on your own. But what if you've got an unsaved spouse? What if you've got an unsaved husband or wife? What do you do with that? And I've been asked that question. What do you do? You, 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 first of all, go back to the wife last week. You have a wife that doesn't, she loves the Lord, she wants to live for the Lord, she wants to submit to her husband, and her husband wants nothing to do with it, hates the things of God. What do you do? You've already been instructed. Let, don't browbeat. Let your actions show it. What to do is submit, unless it crosses the line, and as you submit to your husband, honor him, respect him, and let your beautiful behavior Draw him to the Lord. What about an unsaved husband? I mean, a a husband that has an unsaved wife, a a wife that doesn't want to listen. He wants to lead his children in a godly way. He wants to lead them in this direction. He wants to lead his family in this direction. His wife wants nothing to do with it. His wife would rather go around and run around with the world. Then what do you do? You're still to learn of her. You're still to cherish her. And listen, the bottom line is we don't follow uh, them in that way. We ought to love the Lord first and fear God. First, we do what is right, even when it's hard. But we speak the truth in love. We ought to love them. We ought to cherish them. We ought to be gentle. And also, husbands, we ought to win by our actions. You can't possibly learn about your wife if you're not spending time. You can't possibly lead your children, and we're not even dealing with children in this situation in in this text, but you can't possibly lead your children if you're not teaching them, if you're not showing them, if you're not spending time. You don't think these are great responsibilities? The world wants to pull us away from this. And the last one was, just so I get to it, is we had to be a leader. Be a learner, husbands. Be a lover, but also a learner. And that is everywhere in our text. If you're going to understand them, you're a, you're a leader. If you're going to honor them, if you're going to be the husbands that you should be in the same way and do what God wants you to do, take on your responsibilities, it implies that you are a leader but not a dictator. And I want you to notice this as we close. It's interesting that it's only said to the husbands so that your prayers will not be hindered. Your spiritual life, my spiritual life is affected by the way I take my responsibilities in my home, let me ask your husbands, How's your prayer life? You say, "I'm struggling even how to pray? I don't see any answers to pray. Have you ever looked at how you're treating your wife? you really getting to know her? Is she really first? Oh yeah, she's first before your hobbies? Is she first before what you want in your marital relationships? Is she first or are you? In making decisions about what's done around the home, is she first or is she you? Are you? Is she as delicate as she should be? Do you cherish her the way? It says here that our prayer life will be hindered. And I believe it means exactly what it says. Folks, husbands particularly, if we're not doing what God wants us to do, if we're not taking on that responsibility, the world may think it's different. But if we don't take on that responsibility, we can't possibly expect to be pleasing to God. And we can't possibly expect God to be working in our lives. Folks, I want God to be working in my life. I'm sure you do as well. So what does that mean? That means servants, even on the job, Submit to your masters. Wives, submit to your husbands. Honor them. Respect them. Show your behavior. Husbands, get down to business in learning about your wife, loving your wife, and being the leader in your home. It really hurts me when I hear of situations where the husband is not the leader and the wife is. And a lot of times it's because the husband is a wimp. He won't lead the way he should lead because he thinks it means a dictatorship, not at all. It means putting her first, but it means taking the responsibilities that God has given us to take. I find it interesting we didn't deal with children, and usually it's children, obey your parents, and that's the one we all want to hear as adults, but that's what God's given us for instruction. We'll go on in the text, Lord willing, next week. May God help us as husbands to be the godly people that we should be for his honor and glory. Let's pray. Father and God, thank you and praise you for your love for us. And I pray that in this church, in our families, no matter what it's been in our lives in the past, might we today be committed to being the wives that we should be, to being the husbands that we should be in your eyes because we love you and it's because you first loved us. Father, help us not to be getting our theology for the home from society, from technology. Help us, Father, to be getting it from the word. I pray that you'd raise up in this church people who are on the job submitting to their bosses and being the type of people they should be, wives that are being submissive to their husbands and winning even their unsaved husbands by their actions, and husbands that are really loving their wives as they ought to, as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, as we love our own bodies. Might we be learning about them so that we can love them better? Might we be the leaders we should be so that our prayer life would be what it ought to be for your honor and glory? Start with us. Have this church be that strong. Have our families be that strong And might we influence this valley and everybody we come in contact with. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.